Let us pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher, and that fount of blessings. Lord, may you be the joy of our heart. May you be the focus of our souls. Father, may we shout to you, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, may it be said of us that Christ was among us. Help us, Lord, as we look at these words, understand the significance of it, the cornerstone of it, the power of it. Father, may we rest in your assurances to your glory and praise. Amen. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony is Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell with them, and they will walk with me. I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that which is unclean, and I will come to you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is a little difficult for us because we try to figure out what does separation mean. And that tends to be our issue. In this section that we are looking at, Paul has four questions. Actually, has five. But he has four dealing with the senselessness of it. I want to take you back a few years. I want you to think about something. I've been doing a lot of reading. Perhaps that's my problem. And if you know, I love history. The Apostle Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace that has been given to me, like a wise builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Okay? That's an interesting text, because what I have watched in my ministry, in my life, with my walk with Christ is, we hate that verse. In our actions. We want to build and be the foundation and spruce it up and clean it up and make it look at this and look at that and look at look, look at what I got. And we want our own little spiritual kingdoms. I was reading a, a text. It's an interesting text. You've heard that Thomas Jefferson made a statement that I will put a wall between. The church and the state. Do you know what statement that was and what it was written to? Anybody? It's not in a legal document. It was a letter to the Baptist Conference of Massachusetts. You know why? The Baptist Conference and their love for their new president, Mr. Jefferson, sent him a 1,260-pound roll of cheese. 
that was served in the White House for seven years. Cheddar, sharp cheddar, probably by the end of seven years. And he was so profound. He says, I cannot take it because I don't want a gift and I don't want people to think that the church is trying to sway me. So he gave the church $200. And he wrote the letter and he says, know this, as long as I stand for the Constitution and president of this United States, there will be a wall of separation between the church and government because it is unexplicably horrific that the government would intrude into the church. That letter was delivered on Saturday. Thomas Jefferson went to a church in Washington, D.C. on that Sunday, and the preacher preached 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. Funny how that kind of gets dismissed, doesn't it? And yet I watch the church today and I look at our issues that you and I deal with. And I'm sitting there saying, you know what? Had we listened to what the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. Paul makes it really straightforward. When it comes to spiritual things, do not be bound with unbelievers. There are multiple things out there that exist today that are spiritual that we are chained to. We are chained to. And the church says nothing. It doesn't say a word. And what is... More troubling to me is we don't ever even take a stand. We would, oh yeah, well, whatever. Okay, well, fine. I don't care what lost people do, but when it comes to a spiritual endeavor, um, shall we call it the institution of marriage? I will not be bound with you. I heard, a, I just got an article. I, got, I can't remember if it's Thursday or Friday. This is really good. I'm still trying to ponder what the... Okay, the Church of England is having its issues. And they have concluded that if you have a gay priest, okay, and that's, I'm not referring to a happy priest. I'm talking about a gay priest. And that gay priest wished to become a church bishop. We will honor that even though the Church of England in the United States, you know it as the Episcopals, say that we will honor gay partnership, marriage, whatever it is, if you're in Maine or, I don't know, Maryland, wherever. We'll honor that, but we will not allow you to be a bishop unless you promise to remain celibate. Brilliant. Why did I not think of that? Okay, and I'm sitting there going, really, guys? That's what we got. And I read this and it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You cannot cut a straight line. 
He does it in four questions, and that's what we've been looking at, what I call senseless in verses 14 and 15. Four questions. The first two deal with the nature of us. Why? Our nature. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? One is desperate for the things of God, and one rebels against the things of God. What do you have in common? What do you have in common? Now listen, people, I'm not talking about if a person, a couple are married, and all of a sudden one of them gets saved, therefore I now have a right to divorce. That is not what this text says. It does not say that I should never work with an unbeliever in a job. It does not what it says. Well, I only do my business with believers. That's not what this text says. It says, well, you're dealing with the eternals. You do not bind yourself with an unbeliever. You do not bind yourself with a person who's in rebellion to God and prefers it. That's your nature. What your nature is that of light. What? Do you have in common? What fellowship do you have with darkness? You can't. You cannot turn the light on in the dark and have any dark hanging out. The dark leaves. If you turn the light off, the dark returns. What fellowship do they have? None. Okay, the third question moves now from the nature of the individuals to the difference in the leaders. Okay, verse 15. What harmony has Christ with Belial? The personal power, the personal ruler of each of these two individuals. There's only two. I've already shown you that. There are two in existence on this planet right now. They are the power source that is behind it. What do they have in common? The personal ruler of each kingdom. What do they have in common? What you're doing is you're moving to the very top. Okay, I have the organization. What does the very top of the organization say? Compared to the other organization. Listen, the very tops of these organizations at best are only antagonistic. At best. Can you put them together? Can you put them together? Wait, wait. The Mormons do. Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. Really? Now everybody can say, well, I can't believe you said that. I didn't. They did. That's what they said. They're not brothers. They have nothing in common. One is creator, one is creature. The difference between Christ and Satan. Is there a difference? What is Christ and Satan's common enterprise? What do they work together for? You ever thought of that? I mean, but we try it. Whatever Jesus would do, Satan is against. And everything that Satan does, 
Christ will judge. There's no partnership. There's no harmony. There's no fellowship. You can't even get them close. They have nothing, nothing, nothing in common. Jesus made it this way. John's Gospel, 8th chapter, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Wherever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his nature. For he is a liar, the father of lies. And you're trying to try to tell me that Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. No, whatever he speaks is a lie. The two cannot work together. An unbeliever is a child of the devil. A believer is a child of God. The two can never, cannot, can't even think about working together. They have nothing in common. Paul is saying, you can't go to the table of demons and then to the table of the Lord. You can't do it. You can't go to the, an idol's feast, sit and worship that idol, knowing that behind that idol, where did it come from? It's a demon. Do you understand that every false religion has a basis and a teacher and a power behind it? You know what it is? It's a demon. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. I don't care what the religion is. It has demonic source behind it. I, it, uh, it's a little frustrating. It's a little frustrating because we all want to get along. I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to cause strife. Can't we, what do they call it now? Oh, can we be bipartisan? I don't know if you guys remember this. It's been a few years ago. You had been here for a long time. The uh, governor of our state at that time was caught making out with uh, an aide in I don't know, Washington, D.C. And one of the talk show guys wanted to know why none of the clergy was saying anything about it. So what I decided to do on email was I took what are the common vows of marriage, showed them what the biblical presentation was for marriage and i emailed him off to this talk show host and of course immediately he wanted to put me on the air and i had all these people wanting to and so i called some of my buddies up and he says let me tell you something you do that they're only going to put sound bites up to make you look like a buffoon and i said all right so i i i disregarded all of it i said no, i don't want no part of this okay I was sitting in my office one afternoon, and the phone rang, and uh, so I answered it, and it was some lady who was the head of the Republican Party for Colorado. And I was like, well, how, what does this mean? And she says, have you ever thought about running for political office? And I, I said, no, I haven't, nor would I ever. And she says, you, you would never consider it at all. I said, no. 
I said, a politician by its nature has to compromise, and I can't. And by the way, I've got the most powerful job on the planet. I don't need to be a governor. Okay? But I thought, you know what? I can't compromise. What am I going to compromise on? I have to bring biblical standards to the proclamation and administration of law. That would sell. Sure it would. But these are the kinds of things that I watch what happens. And I say, no, you can't. You can't embrace this. You can't do this. Bipartisanship calls for compromise. How can a Christian engage in any form of false religion? Really? How can any Christian engage in any form of false worship? Because that's what it is. Light has no fellowship with darkness. Righteousness has no partnership with lawlessness. It says here, Christ has no harmony with Belial. The word harmony, there's a cool word in the Greek. It's the word you and I get symphony from. They cannot come together commonly. If you've ever heard a symphony, if you get there early and hear them, everybody's doing their... And you're like, mercy, this is awful. Okay, and then you get a conductor up there. It's quiet. And then all of a sudden it becomes this harmonious, beautiful sound because the conductor has stepped forward, brought his power to bear. So there's absolute harmony in that group. How do you take Satan and Lucifer and say, now, direct the orchestra? Can't do it. There is no harmony. There is no symphony between Jesus Christ and Satan. Belial is an ancient term for Satan. In the Old Testament, it's spoken of multiple times as the sons of Belial. And what that means, are you ready? When you look at it in the Hebrews, it's called the worthless ones. Spoken of even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the worthless ones. And Satan is referred to in the ancient Hebrewic writings as the utterly worthless one. That's Belial. Compare that to Christ. He is the only worthy one. What partnership does the utterly worthless one and the only worth one have? Satan is the ultimate worthless one. The ultimate worthless one. You know what John, uh, <laughs> John Calvin called him? 
Speaking of this phrase, Belial, he is trash on the pile of hell, unquote. Very appropriate if you think about it. What can trash on the pile of hell have to do with the worthy one? Can't have any harmony. How can you have... He, how can Satan have harmony with the total worthy one? The one who is exalted to the right hand of God has how much to do with the trash on the pile of hell? Unbelievers are the children of Satan. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedient. It's pretty straightforward if you think about it. Because you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air. Children of Satan. You walk according to the power of the prince of the air. You walk according to the power of him who swayed your flesh. That is the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. Lawlessness. Darkness. Under the influence of the trash on the pile of hell. (laughs) Who's your leader? (laughs) Darkness, subject to Satan, walking in darkness, absolutely no ability to have any harmony with God. Now, I've got a text that we will spend some time studying in the future, but I want to give you a heads up on it right now. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I have I have seen. The, the movies that uh, are out there, I grew up, uh, what was the heck is that one? Uh, the Exorcist. Um, I have seen The Omen uh, with, uh, what's his name, Gregory Peck in it. Was there, that was a few years ago. Um, I have seen the, the new one there where, uh, what the heck is the guy's name? Constantine. Okay, I even seen Michael with John Travolta. <laughs> So I know how the demonic realm works. But that's Hollywood's standard. Let me tell you what God's standard says about the demonic realm. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. You know what that means, right? They don't do the dark thing. Okay? They don't dress up ugly. 
They don't have fangs and projectile vomiting or any of these other weird stuff that you see. They don't make little kids stick up on the roof. They look like pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers. They look like deacons. They look like the person sitting next to you in any church. Remember, Jesus said the church had what? Wheat and tares. Okay? It has goats and sheep. And you know what? They're both cute, ain't they? Please understand, what you see from Hollywood is but nothing but a lie. Please understand that. Please understand that their power is always, always, always limited by God who spoke existence into being. They are angel of life. They are what I call a masked deceiver. Hippocrates. Hippocrates, during the ancient times, they would have a mask. Okay, and you would hold that mask up and you would talk through that mask and no one knew what you were doing behind the mask. It might have a frown on it. It might have an angry sign on it. It might have a smile on it. But you could be on the backside of that mask just sticking your tongue out at everybody. And nobody knows. That's what the word Hippocrates means, the word we get hypocrite from. Okay? That's the mask of a deceiver. An actor. They dress in religion. They dress in righteousness. They look morally stable. And it sucks believers into compromise. You can't partner with those nice people. I don't care how nice they are. I got into trouble. Um, Mother Teresa has that convent in Calcutta. And how everybody, how great a person she was. Do you know that she wrote a paper to the Vatican and her dissertation of the Vatican that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is to be co-redeemer and her edifice should be put on the backside of a cross? But she took care of orphans and the crippled. And she, she gave of herself consistently, consistently. So? So? Do you know that the great reformers that gave birth to every one of you called the Protestant Reformation were wanted to be murdered by the Catholic Church? And we can partner with them. We can all just smile. Skippity doodah. No, you can't. They have a different gospel. They do not exalt the word of God. They exalt the church. You can't partner with that. Wow, you can't say that today. Yeah, I can. I cannot not say that. There is no harmony. Are you saying the Pope is of the devil? No, Paul is. No, there's no harmony. There's no partnership. There's no fellowship. Although they do have a good fish fry. 
These are things that you and I have to pay attention to, people. You can't partnership with this. And you say, well, but that's so mean. Well, no, actually, there is a broad path. And Scripture says there are many on it. There is a narrow path. And Scripture says few find it. So many are dressed in religion. I heard this statement so many times in my life I could almost throw up. Well, I believe in God. That you have created in your own image. So you have made your own religion. The fourth question covers it all there in the end of this. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? When it comes to dealing with eternity, I mean, basically in that statement, that that question, it covers it all. What does faith have to do with non-faith? Listen, faith is seen. Okay, what you put your faith in, all people see. You got that? So what can someone who has non-faith, which is seen, have in common with a person who has faith and it is seen? What do you do if you believe this and another doesn't? You know, I, I listened to, let's see, what, it sounds like a joke. Uh, a rabbi, uh, a Catholic priest, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> what can I say? And this minister, I knew I was in trouble when it introduced her. And they were all speaking about the age of the earth. Listen, that is not one of the more complicated understandings in Scripture. Sunrise, sunset, one day. Well, but to the Lord, now I ain't got nothing to do with a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's a complete different context. That's his patience waiting on your salvation. Uh, Anyway, and I'm sitting there and they all said, well, it's obvious science has proven. That it's billions and billions and billions of years. Really? Okay. But they all would say, well, we're not scientists, but you will say that science has proven. Can you tell me the science? Tell me the science. And the basis of that science. I want to see the base. Because see, science has this little problem. I can have a hypothesis. Okay? This is what I think happened. But it stays as just a magical guess until I can prove it. And I have to be able to repeat it. What goes up... Must come down. And if you do it enough times, you will be convinced. Right? That's science. Look, I have a hypothesis. What? I think if I fire anything up, eventually it will come back down. And you know what? They're going, it does. All right. So there was a great explosion. And we have everything that we see right now. Really? Really? 
But I had all the religious experts explaining it to me. But then they make the statement, well, but we can't really know, but it's obvious science has proved it. And I'm sitting there going, what kind of, I won't tell you the word it followed, are you thinking? Okay? I went through Genesis. It's a very simple text. Six days. Seventh day he rested. And, you know, it's, it's spelled out in the New Testament. You have the Sabbath day of rest. Is that the 650 billionth year? Or is it the seventh day? The Bible is really, well, but the Bible is vague about it. And now all I wanted to do was call in and say, have you not read? But it wasn't a call-in show, so I turned the TV off because it was my TV and I didn't want to shoot it. (laughs) Okay? How can I partner with that? If this person believes this and the other doesn't, how is there a harmony there? How is there fellowship there? What is the common ground that is there? There isn't any. I believe in the gospel. I believe in the word of God inerrant and powerful. What do I do with someone who doesn't have that? Your life is dominated by your faith and or lack of. You have faithful and you have faithless. And their commonness is what? There is no common. Now listen, again, I want you to keep this in perspective. I'm talking about dealing in ministry. The serving of the eternals. Okay. Had a lady. She's Buddhist. She's a nice lady. Very peaceful, passive, and all the rest of it. And she says, I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. And I was like, uh, I wouldn't waste my time. She's like, what? She said, well, I thought you were a pastor. I said, I am. She said, well, I want to pray for you. I said, you're wasting your time. She said, well, how can you say that? I said, Buddha doesn't even like me. So don't pray for me. Not the Buddha. I "I can't believe you'd say that. Why? I have absolutely nothing in common. I'm a polar opposite of Buddha. Okay? I do, do you understand that? Well, but it's peace and harmony and tranquility. So are the Beatles. But there's only two of them left. It don't work, people. You can't bring it. Well, can't you? No! If I'm going to deal with an eternal thing, I have to do it with believers. Those of the same faith. Those who have a passion for the word of God. And if not, you know what? Hey, I can do business with you. I might need a gallon of milk and you might be a milkman. 
But when it comes to the eternals, I can't. You can't do it. And it goes back a few years. The book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 3. Do two men work, walk together unless they have made an agreement? Amos the sycamore farmer. Can two men walk together without making an agreement? So how does a believer and an unbeliever make an agreement? Our beliefs, our principles, our values, our motives as Christians are 180 degrees out of unbelievers. I know a man right now. He's in his, uh, you know, he might be 70. He might be 70, late 60s, 70, okay, has never in his entire life have him and his wife ever seen an R-rated movie. Do you ever think about that? And because my first question to him was, you got a TV? <laughs> never, never seen an R-rated movie. Why? He says it's completely out of our nature. My nature doesn't deal with that. And you sit there and you, how did you get, I mean, there's R-rated songs on the radio. You can't understand what they're saying, but that's what I hear. He says, no, because his beliefs, his principles, his values, his motives as a Christian are completely different than unbelievers. Actually, they are not even that close to say 180 degrees out. You know what? You may play with them. You may go skiing with them. You may go water skiing with them. You may go, I don't know, down to the gun range with them. You may work with them. You may socialize with them. You may sit down and watch a Broncos game with them. You may go to a Broncos party with them. But you know what? Once you move to the ministry and you have to deal with divine truth, it is impossible. And Paul says, not only is it impossible, it's senseless. It's senseless. I have a, a a dear friend who I've worked on his motorcycle. He's a he's an artiste, and uh, and I think he's legit because that's how he makes his living and he lives well. Uh, you know the big blue bear in downtown? He did that, which is better than a big blue horse out of the airport. <laughs> Let's be realistic, <laughs> okay? You know. But but he does a lot of things, and he travels around the West, and he's, you know, he's very fascinated about my quote-unquote religion. I ride with him. We ride motorcycles together, and we just ride around and see the sights, and that's it. And he can't understand it. And And I try to explain it to him that, you know what, I'm in this world, but the difference between me and him is, I said, you're trying to hang on to this world. I'm just passing through this world. Because this world is extremely important to him. Okay? Every day of my life, it gets a little less important to me. When you deal with divine truth, it is impossible and it is senseless to try to deal with those who don't believe. 
I shared with you this morning the lady that uh, was in this church for years and years and years and years, even before I even got here, and uh, was always there, a servant, just amazing. And then one time she got mad at me. And uh, her comment to me was that by his stripes I was healed, but he had to die for you. What? And then it dawned on me, I don't care how active that person is in the church. That's wrong theology. That's sort of like saying, well, I wasn't as bad as you. You know what? Probably in this room, there was nobody as bad as me. But you still needed the Savior. No different than I did, which is no different than Jesus' mother needed a Savior. You're not going to believe this. I'm glad you're all sitting down. You may want to take your panic pills right now. But the churches are full of unbelievers. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. There are people who are sitting in the church that think that because they're sitting in a church that makes them a Christian. Okay? Or this is what you're supposed to do. Or maybe there are some ways of enhancing my life if I hang out with Christians. I know guys right now who ask me when they find out I'm a pastor, they live the life of bikers and just fill in the blank, whatever your imagination wants to go with that one. And they ask me, you know, I'm thinking about settling down a little bit. Do you have any single women in your church? (laughs) I keep thinking, Lord, if I hit him. Am I going to be in trouble? (laughs) But they asked me that. And you sit there and you go, are you kidding me? I said, yeah, but they're all uh, over 80. (laughs) That's the things that you you hear that. Why? I live this wild life, but when I want a reputable person, I'll go get me a Christian. And you know what's sad about that? Christians are willing to go. There is a mainline teaching that is out there today in the evangelical community. And I'll beg your forgiveness. I was going to name him, but it's one of two guys, and I don't want to name both of them and be be wrong. But it's one of two. One's out of Chicago, one's out of L.A., They made a statement. They put it in print and they put it on TV. So I've read it and I've heard it. Quote, if I can find the felt need, I can lead anyone to Christ. Unquote. Really? Really? I know what the felt need of every human being is. (laughs) The absence of Christ. Okay, so let's get them all saved now. Or do I want that responsibility that I spent all those years with that person and couldn't find out what their felt need was and they went to hell? Or do I want to look at that and say, you know what? We have nothing in common. I watched our election go through, and when I got done with it, 
There was a lot of people who got frustrated. Oh, my God. I looked at it, and I said, you know what? The leaders of our country right now are only voting against God. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. That's bad news. But the greater tragedy was is that the evangelical community was the one that pushed it through. So they joined those who would vote against God and voted for those who would vote against God. Okay? Have you ever heard this term? You cannot legislate morality. You ever heard that? Okay. Do you know that you can legislate immorality? Check the books. When I think about that in the body of Christ right now, Paul says separate because it's senseless. If you think that you can be logical with lost people, if you think you can be rational with lost people, you are a greater fool than they are. Paul told Timothy, a young Timothy, who was getting ready to take on the mantle of his apostleship, and you will continue the work that I already started. He says, if anyone comes against you and disagrees with these teachings, you pray that God brings them to repentance and releases them from the snare of the devil. And yet, how many of us in this room thinks it our responsibility to bring them to repentance? No, you pray for them. You pray for them. Because the Apostle Paul is telling you and I this very day, it is impossible. It is impossible for those who are under the authority of Satan to come under the authority of those who are under Christ. It's impossible. It is impossible for one who is in light to have any kind of partnership with darkness. It is impossible for a fellowship of those in righteousness to have anything in common with those in lawlessness. Next week, verse 16, we will also see not only is it senseless, but it's idolatrous. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you do. Father, I thank you for your church. Yes, Lord, even as we said in it today, we understand that there are wheat and tare, sheep and goats, and yet, Father, it is still your church. Father, I was just reading this morning about the church in Sardis. And how everyone says that that was not, that church wasn't, that wasn't a real church. Really? Father, you had not removed your candlestick. So there was a few that were there. Father, may we never step into that place. Please, Lord, help us. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we don't have to pick a fight. Father, let us understand that. But let us stand on the authority of your book. And Father, let us do it with the love and kindness that even our Lord and Savior showed us. Father, may your glory go forward, even in these wild and woolly times. We praise you, Father. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.